0: Hello, folks. Welcome back to another episode of the South Pole Podcast. Today, we are recording remotely. I'm going to be joined by my co-host, Becky Sarzinski from Virginia, and I'll let her introduce herself. We will also be joined by Bruce Shanks from the Sassafras Valley Ranch. We're going to be talking about genetics, a um, little bit about the business he talked about today. Um, so I think we got some good information coming to you. Becky, you got anything to add?
1: Yeah, folks, Hi, I'm Becky Zarzinski out here in Virginia. And uh, yeah, Bruce covers a lot of great things in the interview today, from the cattle business to the South Pole business, to open cows, what to do with them, and why culling is really an important thing that we all need to be considering in our own operations.
0: And I guess I didn't actually say who I was, I'm Doyle Unruh, but I think everybody knows us by now, right, Becky?
1: I think so. (laughs) I think we're good on that.
0: (laughs) Okay. So today we have Bruce with us. Um, Bruce, would you go ahead and introduce yourself? Um, describe your operation, your location, your type, your livestock si- uh, size, et cetera, and your credentials, and then give us a little bit about your past experience, ag- agricultural background, just kind of lay it out for us. Okay, I'll do that. Uh, thanks to you guys for uh,
2: for having me on here. Uh, so Sassafras Valley Ranch, uh, we're located in central Missouri, kind of in the, the hills of the Ozarks in, in, a, in a small town of, near Bell. Um, the The centerpiece of my wife and I's operation is 250 uh, registered South Pole cows. Uh, some of those are, a lot of those are our own cows, but then we also have uh, some for uh, our partner in Tennessee. Uh, so we sell, uh, both open and and bred uh, registered heifers, uh, our top end male calves will will be sold and mar- marketed as bulls, and then all of our steers go to grass finishers. Um, we try to have a real simple recipe to beef production and, and really uh, really manage uh, for, for low inputs. Um, secondly, uh, and additionally, we have about two hundred and fifty commercial use. Uh, those are cats and about 50 uh, commercial goats uh, as part of our operation. and then really the the third leg and I, I won't spend a lot of time here but uh, kind of three pieces to our operation we we conduct uh, cattle, um, hog, poultry, uh, sheep and goat uh, research uh, for various uh, uh, animal nutrition companies here here on our farm and so there's there's times when uh, when that's taking up um, quite a bit of our time. Right now, we've got two studies going and we've got a set of buildings down here. and Most of that work occurs uh, in the buildings, but sometimes out on the farm or out on the pasture as well. Um, we, we operate on 625 owned acres. Uh, and then additionally, we lease uh, eight different uh, farms that uh, comprise about 1300 extra acres. So we're pretty scattered out over two counties. Um, we've I'm full-time on the farm. I've got a, a, another guy that helps me full-time. He's a really valuable part of the operation. Uh, my wife's a school teacher, and so when she's not in class, uh, she's also uh, helping us out a lot. Uh, like right now, she's off for the summer. And then uh, we're hoping within a year that, that our son and daughter-in-law are going to be joining us, um, and they're going to – Um, They're going to have outside jobs too, but, but uh, we're looking forward to having them back as part of the operation as well. Um, As far as, uh, Doyle, you asked about just kind of my background and and where I come from. I I grew up in, uh, uh, down in Southeast Missouri on a small farm, Uh, met my wife uh, while, while I was pursuing an animal science degree at Missouri State University. Uh, went on and did a master's degree at Montana State and managed a sheep unit out there. That kind of bolstered some some of my interest in sheep that that I still we still have today. Uh, went on and did a PhD at South Dakota State University. Spent about about four years on on beef tenderness there, and so uh, spent some time in school. After that, we moved back home to Missouri. That's home for us for both of us. Uh, I managed, or I helped, uh, I helped my in-laws on their farming operation, I I managed a little meat meat co-op for a while, and, and all the time that was going on, we were trying to grow our operation, and And uh, I managed a, a large uh, commercial cattle farm for absentee owners for a while, and, uh, and for 10 years, I, I taught and uh, did research in the animal science department at a small university, uh, Lincoln University up in Jeff City, Missouri, and, and uh, I kind of, backed away from that job as our operation grew and a couple years ago kind of made the plunge and and uh went went full time and so um I guess that's a little bit about about our operation and and my background.
1: Wow that's that's a lot (laughs) that's a lot Bruce I'm uh that's a a pretty impressive uh, agricultural background you have there and um you definitely have a lot of experience so what I guess I'm going to kind of, my question to you is why did you go with South Pole? Like what drew you to this breed? Obviously you had experience with all kinds of different breeds out there, but, um, you know, why, why South Pole?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm actually glad you asked that question. I'll try not to tell too long of a story, but, but sometimes it is interesting, um, how you stumble into things. And so I'm going to, I'm going to back up a little bit when, when I was, um, uh, when I was actually in school yet. Uh, I took a trip to uh, uh, the sand hills in Nebraska. That's a really a, a, an incredible region for cattle production. And um, Deseret, which is a which is the largest uh, commercial cattle um, business in the U.S. They they had some ranches in Nebraska, very well ran. And uh, I, I visited those. I've been back again since then, and those guys the one of the things that they impressed upon me first of all they had composite cattle um and they were managing some grazing uh but they really ran their bit they ran it like a business and they were just everything they talked about was business 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 and so that really um that really hit home for me at the time and and it was shortly after that that we got started and um and so i you know i had i had that piece in my mind and we started out with commercial cattle um, and as we began to um, do do more uh, managed grazing what, what, we, what happened to us we, we you know we started to having we, we started pushing the cattle on grass and, and, and we started taking away inputs at the same time and, and uh, uh, unfortunately the type of cattle that we had at the time, so, so there again, I was going back to some of those things that um, that Burke Tiker and those guys were talking about at Deseret, and and trying to apply it to, to my operation, and and the only problem was I I didn't have very good genetics for that, and so our, our conception rates were were not not good, and and the more we took away from the cattle, the the worse they did, of course. And so, um, interestingly enough, I, I remember it just like it was yesterday. I was I was managing. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was managing a, a large commercial farm and, and trying to apply the same things there as well. And and, and really, honestly, having some similar struggles. And uh, I was managing this place, and I was I was on I was on the uh, lunch break, and I was sitting there eating lunch, and I was reading Stockman Grass Farmer. And you know, there again, trying to run things like a business, trying to be low input, but really just I knew I didn't have the right genetics for it. And I flipped to the back of that magazine, and there's a classified ad about South Pole's, and and it was Ralph Voss, who 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 we all know now, and I didn't know him. He lived in the other side of the county. But what really caught my eye was it was the same uh, area code as mine, and so <coughs> excuse me, uh, I don't know why I did this to this day, but I dialed the number, and 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 surprisingly Ralph answered. You know, and there again I didn't know Ralph. And, uh, uh, he answered his phone, which he, he he always does that. And, and anyway, and I even told him, I'm not even real sure why I'm calling, but I'm interested. What, what is the South Pole? And the timing was, you know, was dumb luck on my part. Um, he, he was, um, he had just kind of got into the breed himself and, and actually Teddy Gentry was going to be up in a couple of weeks and, and, um, and speaking in, in Lynn, which is the County seat where I live. And so I went you know, and there again, I, I still, but for some reason I followed through and I went and, and of course the rest is history. I, you know, I, he, Teddy was saying the same things that we were trying to do and here he had a breed of cattle that would, that would do it. And uh, one thing I'll never forget, I went down to Ralph's farm and you guys have probably been there and, and it was myself and some other attendees and a bunch of kids from FFA. I can remember them with their, with their, uh, their jackets on they went they went kind of running over the hill and here's all these cattle, uh, hot wired off into a little corner. And I thought they're gonna, they're gonna break out of there and cross the river. I mean, they're never going to stop running and they didn't care. They just stood there. And I went home and told my wife, I said, I said, I think I found, you know, what we need. And my son, Paul and I, uh, we went to Alabama, I think like two weeks later and, and and bought our first ones. And so, um so th- I'm, I'm I'm really glad you asked that question it's uh I, I wish I could tell you oh I you know I studied this and that and and uh, but it, it was just dumb luck I made a random phone call and the right guy you know answered the phone and, and Ralph's been a been a really good uh mentor to me and, and and Teddy and Dave and and I might even go on a little further uh Becky and and elaborate even even more so so as that happened we thought well we've really got the piece that we was missing here and um, but but we were still so hard to grow and so that's about the same time that that, that our friend Greg Judy was starting to do some speaking and, and I just luckily enough right, right when he was first you know out kind of selling his first book and talking I had went and listened to him uh, at, at about the same time this was all happening and and he you know he really impressed upon me the idea of leased land and leased cattle and so uh, we were able to that right after that we leased our first farm and and eventually ran cattle for for th- well now three different folks and so um you know that that also really helped us get get to where we're at today and 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 greg kind of gave me a shove in that direction and so anyway I'm glad you asked that i i uh i owe a lot to those folks and and uh and what they've kind of meant to me, as far as getting us where we're at today,
0: that's awesome, Bruce. And it's it's uh it's really cool to hear a story like that because, you know, maybe you didn't do research for a while, but the thing that hit you right up front was you were impressed with the quality of the cattle and their maybe even more importantly their attributes. So yeah, it,
2: it, especially their disposition struck me that particular day. And and of course, you know, that, that's, that, that's true today. Uh, We love the, we love how easy those cattle are to handle and, and, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, like I said, kind of a, kind of a neat way that, that we stumbled into that. So
0: let's take turns kind of bouncing these, our list of questions off of Bruce. We're obviously kind of around genetics and culling today. Um, Are you ready to just open this up to Bruce and kind of let him go through how he culls how he makes those decisions and go from there. Does that sound good to you?
1: Yeah, let's do it. I'm interested in hearing what he has to say here. You
0: ready yes. to go, Bruce? You need a question <laughs> to get started.
2: No, that'll be fine. I, I can, you guys have started me off with a pretty easy one really. And, and uh, you know, when he, anytime anybody asks me, well, you know, what about your killing practices? Is It's really simple for me we've got, you know, there again, as I described our operation, we, we run on a lot of lease ground. And so this is pretty rough ground. And so we've got cows out there that's got to, they've got to thrive in a low input system and, and, and on pretty rough ground. And so what we do, we've got a defined calving season. Uh, and uh, we're going to preg check all of, we're, we're all spring calving. So we're going to preg check all of our cows in November. And we're going to ship open cows, period. And, and I can stop right there. That, that is really our that's where we that's where we draw the line and, and cull without any second chance. Um, they're, they're gonna they're going to leave leave this place uh, if if they're open and and uh, uh, it, for the most part, beyond that, if they're bred, they get to stay. Um, I, you know there'll be some exceptions of something that you know a disposition or a poor enough utter, but but I still, I still really, you know, I don't want to lose sight and I want to uh, impress upon you. My, my number one culling criteria is if you're, if you're open, you go somewhere else. So,
1: Does that pretty even, simple. Does that even um, follow suit with your heifers? I mean, when do you expect your first calving heifers to produce a calf?
2: Right, right. We'll, 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 we will, uh, all of our Uh, first calf heifers will calve as a two-year-old or 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 we don't they're gone so uh yeah we we would ask them to all breed as two and then keep keep breeding in a timely manner and um and we've got some that you know that 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 certainly won't make it especially under our management our system and that's okay i mean it is what it is and and uh but yes there's no second chances for the heifers either we don't try to breed them early or give them longer anything like that so
0: so Bruce, maybe you're maxed out on your facilities, but maybe the guy that's got 20 cows or 40 cows, you know, and he says, I can't keep all my heifers and breed them and give them a chance. I love your philosophy. What would you have a thought on, on what he should do to pick his best? Would you just tell him to wing it or use his best guess or what's your thought?
2: Yeah, I do. And, and in fact, Doyle, we're, we're probably gonna shift a, a little bit more that way ourselves we think that we, first of all, we love having yearling cattle around heifers and this case that we're talking about. And not only is it a chance to give all those heifers to breed uh, a chance to breed, but it also gives us uh, uh, some cattle that we can utilize our extra grass with come, come spring. And yet some cattle that we can move if we need to because of a drought or whatever. And so um, anyway, I, I think we're going to shift a little bit at, a little bit away from keeping them all, because in our operation, I think we can keep the lighter half of the steers, and 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 do the same thing from a grass management, and a drought management point of view, um, and and add a little value to those steers, and just go ahead and move a few more heifers in the, on the front end. So, to answer your question, what do I think is the way to sort the top end heifers without keeping them all? I think one thing in particular heifers born early in the season especially that are slick they rarely disappoint uh, that they, they seem like those are the cows that are working best for me and if I had to go out tomorrow I' just pick every heifer born in the first 21 days that, that are good and slick and I, I bet that'd do it just as good as anything in my opinion in my opinion so.
1: Let me ask, and it's a, another genetic type of question here, but um, you know, I think this year seems I've been hearing a lot of issues with it and, and it's kind of uh, late summer here uh, for us all and we're probably on the back end of, of this issue. But do you also call for like fly management? What do you do on your farm, if anything, for fly management in your herd?
2: Well, Becky, I almost wish you wouldn't ask me that right now because we're uh, we we don't do we don't do anything for the flies. Uh, w- well, w- we have some garlic in our mineral, and and that may help a little. I, uh, if you see the number of flies that I saw today out moving cattle, I, you might argue that it's not doing much. So we've got a heavy fly load. Um, we you know we know the slick cows uh, help with that, um, and. And we're going to have some cows that just they're not going to cope, and they're going to be the ones that find themselves open in the fall, and, and uh, that's kind of how we're going to find those. But, um, but we, we've and as a consequence, uh, we, we've had we've had a real struggle with pink eye this year ourselves, and and of course we know that flies are one of the culprits as far as spreading that, and so um, it's it's been a little bit of a struggle. Your your, your timing timing is is good or bad however you want to look at that so it's on my mind right now so yeah
1: yeah absolutely I think yeah I mean I've I've been hearing a lot of folks talk about it and um you know even for us some years it's like a hit and miss type of thing and um you know it's like I think we all contend with it at some point but I mean you have some um education when it comes to animal genetics is that is pink eye like a, a hereditary thing? Is there you know can we call for that in our herds, or is that really not something feasible?
2: No, I, I think that's a good question. It, it is a heritable trait, however, it's it, it's lowly heritable, and so um, maybe as low as ten to fifteen percent, maybe as high as twenty percent, a little higher. So what that means is is You know, we've got a a small portion of it being controlled by genetic factors, a much larger portion, maybe call it 80 percent, that's, that's, you know, a a management thing, an environmental thing. And so, um, you know, at first glance, that may look like, well, you know, we shouldn't even worry about it genetically speaking. But just because something's slowly heritable doesn't mean that we can't make progress. It just means it's going to be fairly slow. And so, I think it's something that we need to encourage and, and honestly it's something I'm going to take a harder look at, uh, given the struggles we've had this year. Um, you know, I, I, I think, uh, I was telling my wife earlier today, as we were out checking for pink eye, um, when we were moving some cattle, it, you know, I think, I think we're going to have to try to see if, if we've got some bull lines or whatever that may be contributing to that. And, and, um, so yeah, we, we, we can make some progress, um, um, at the same time, you know there's it, there's a huge environmental or management factor that's playing a role there. So it's a tough so one. Say,
0: <laughs> when you say environmental, if you put ten to fifteen percent on genetics, that would be their susceptibility to getting pink eye, and the environmental would in, would include their maybe their of nutrition.
2: The, that's right, or or too dusty, or too wet, or flies, or something poking them in the eye yeah i think nutrition is a huge part yes something something that is contributing uh to a stressor uh that's that's you know ultimately leading to a whatever a depressed immunity or or you know this further susceptibility to um to, to to pink eye because even as you know i've got one herd in particular i'm really struggling with and but you can still go out there and and find some animals that that don't have any pink eye, and so um, even though they're under that same system, um, you know they're 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 doing fine. And so yeah, I don't know yeah, that that that's a real struggle. And you know, I hear I see lots of things on forums and people talking, and some will say, "Hey, I never have any trouble with pink eye," and and you know if you do this little concoction, it'll take care of it. And I, I just don't think they've been at it long enough because i think at some point everyone uh will have to deal a little bit with pink eye and there, and i don't there's not going to be a magic bullet just because it's worked for x number of years doesn't mean that's going to continue to be the case just maybe haven't had enough exposure but um but you know that's one of the things i love about the cattle business we're constantly being challenged and just when you think you got something figured out you you get another uh, another challenge thrown at you but you know that that keeps things interesting and Reminds us all that we shouldn't get, you know, too, too, uh, too parked in the same box and, and keep, you know, keep our options open and, you know, just sit there and say I never would do that or I never would control flies. I might be still saying that today, but things change and you have to adapt and, and uh, but anyway, it's a good discussion timely on this end.
0: Well, you mentioned a stressor, you know, something happens and yes, yeah, it's just like you say a lot of them have it, but not all of them. So, it, I guess that's you know why it's called management. That's right. Out. Out.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, and and like you said, it also gives us an opportunity to identify uh, those genetics that that for you know for whatever reason don't seem to be susceptible to it, or or they're or they're able to get over it, or what whatever it might be. So, well,
0: Becky, you got another question?
1: Yeah. Let's um, switch um topics just a little bit here and 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 i think most of our questions are more genetic based because i think that's kind of um maybe a slight expertise of you bruce is can i say that about you
2: <laughs> well i don't know if it'd be true but you can say that okay. so. <laughs> um
1: you know when it comes to um let's just say a a new farmer or a beginner farmer or someone just new to the South Pole breed or any breed for that matter, Um, when it comes to calling, and let's say it is a small farm, kind of going back to that example, um, when it comes to the financial part of it as well, you know, it can be very hard to call an animal just because, oh, maybe... Uh, you know, her bag is starting to, you know, not being in great condition anymore or, or something happens throughout the season that is not optimal, but she's still producing. Okay. Um, But she has a heifer calf and you're planning on keeping a heifer calf because you need to up your stocking rate on your farm. You know, can you go into a little more detail on, you know, why it's, why it's important to maybe start from the beginning on, really selecting for the cattle that do really well in your operation even though financially at the moment it might be difficult like is there a a good way to go about that financially because if you're not financially or sustainable financially on your farm you're not going to be able to keep doing it
2: yeah I I think so and I'll kind of I'll kind of touch on the last part of your conversation but then I might back up a little bit too on something you said uh, at the first part and so you know, to me. The cattle business is a long-term business. Um, you know, genetic change is long-term. Financial, whatever we talk about, the cattle is. You know, if 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 you're in the cattle business, you better be in it for the long term. And so, to me, we've got to be careful to not be blinded by short-term gain. You know, in order, in other words, keeping something that we don't need to keep, even though it's painful in the moment it's only painful in the short term and so um uh you know i think we got to realize we're in a long term business and so if i make a bad decision today that that that's going to affect me for a long time and so i can't you know even though it is tough for and i've been there i'm not too far removed from it myself you know young guy getting going uh it's tough but i think the one thing that helps me is is along the way somewhere it became a positive than rather than a negative. And so what I mean by that is, is um, you know, we go out this fall and we preg check and and of course I would love for there to be 100%, but that's rarely achievable for me. And so what if I just have a, a little bit of a train wreck on a group and I'm at whatever number you want to use? Let's just say I'm at 80%. And so, you know, we found 20%. And so that, that, that's a negative uh, in the short term because now, you know, we were hoping for a calf next year. But there's some things that we can look at that's positive. First of all, if we get rid of her, she's still generating some, some money for us. And so um, I, I just can't see keeping an open cow. And so I, I don't make any exception there. And, and the other thing is, 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 is looking at that as a positive is, hey, we've just, we've just identified uh, the bottom end. Or we've identified the top end, however you want to look at that, and that's a positive thing. And so, without pressure and without failure, you can't find you can't find what's good and what's working for you. And so, um, there again, financially speaking, that that can still be tough. And so, I, I want to back up to that a little bit. You know, I think there again, for me. Uh, And and this is this is what I the way I look at it. You know, I I can't see keeping open animals. They're they're not going to make you any money next year because they're not going to have a calf. And so, for a young person that makes the argument, well, you know, it's financially tough. Well, you know, that I have a little trouble seeing because um, they're not going to produce a calf next year yet. They're going to eat and and spend just as much money as the as the as the cows doing their job. And so, uh, but but beyond that. I still have, and just being completely transparent, I've got cows that are a little too big or a little too small or a little bit of a bad udder. And so, you know, have I gotten rid of all those in my operation? No, I haven't. But, but what we'll do is we'll kind of s- slide those cows off to the side. As long as they're still productive, we're sure not going to keep any herd bulls out of them. And we're going to keep our costs so low that we can still manage uh, to be productive with those cows and run them a little bit more as commercial cows. You know, maybe we can put the right kind of bull with them and produce some good heifers maybe. Uh, but, but so, you know, I, I think we've got to realize we're in a long-term business. And so, you know, genetic decisions that we make today affect us for a long time. Just turn that around and make it into a positive. At the same time, you know, I think we can slide some cows over to the side that are still productive for us. Um, keep the cost down on them and, and still, still be productive. um, You know, for me, that kind of keeps, keeps me some numbers. If I have a drought, those are the first cows I can get rid of. If I've got excess grass, I'm probably glad they're still here. Um, And and so um, anyway, I I hope that answered your question, but that's kind of my philosophy a little bit, maybe hardcore, but at the same time, a, a little bit of a backdoor, and keeping a few of those cows around for a little bit that, that that are probably not genetically as good as some of the others but still got some production
1: yeah that's great because that's that's a good way to think about it too it's like we're all about short-term gains these days because that's just the world we live in and uh, we always want to see a return on those as quick as possible um but it's good to know and and i've heard other folks talk about the cattle business it's like you got to when you're in it you got to kind of stay in it for a while to to really get right. where you need to be going so that's i think really good advice there
2: thank you
0: bruce i like that comment you made on uh you know you said you have a cow that maybe you you're not so proud of her utter because i think you know that's not so uncommon maybe it's not bad but it's just it's it's wearing out it's showing some It's it's been working you know it, it's it's not so pretty anymore um, right. Maybe she is a little age, and so you say, well, she did it for, you know, she's done it eight years already, but you said, we're not going to keep a herd bull. So then that makes me wonder, you know, so you're not keeping a herd bull from that one. In a herd, what what would be normal for somebody? Because I, I have a, a fear, maybe, or a philosophy that, you know, as a new person getting in, we tend to look at all our animals and we say, well, this is a calf, you know, you know you got to sell it if you don't steer it, it's a herd bull. Not every bull, not every uh, male calf that's born should be a herd bull. You want to give us a little bit of an idea, maybe for a new person where they might can consider, is it 90% of their herd or is it 5% of their herd? Or is it straight down the middle every time? Or let just give us a few thoughts on that.
2: Yeah. I think you, you bring up something that's also concerning to me, you know, as a breed gains popularity um, and becomes individual animals become more valuable. There's always that tendency to to uh, keep the ones that um, maybe we shouldn't. And that particularly is escalated on the bull side, of course, because we're passing on so many genetics from, from those particular bulls. And so I don't know, you know, there's probably all kinds of answers out there. And there are certainly exceptions. I think there's South Pole herds out there where virtually all of the male calves are probably, um, warranted as herd bulls but I know in my herd and probably a lot of other ones that number might be more like ten to fifteen percent, maybe up to twenty-five percent. Um and you know and, and and even then I hope that there's a tremendous amount of focus on the cow that they come out of and and you know I see some posts occasionally that that uh you know is saying hey look look at this great calf, look at this great calf and they do look good. Uh but that, you know, that, that does little for me without knowing, uh, about the cow that produced that calf. And so, uh, you know, in my mind there, again, uh, certainly some exceptions out there, but, uh, but we don't, you know, we don't need a lot of these herds. My, my own included, included, uh, producing, uh, you know, that many herd bulls. Uh, I think, I think, uh, we can be, we can be selective and I'll tell you, a really good South pole bull is pretty easy to sell. But if I start digging into some of mine that need to be steers, they're hard for me to sell anyway. I, I wouldn't be able to sell them. I don't think. And, 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 nor should, nor should they be sold. Um, they're, they're really, you know, you think that they're worth twice as much, but they're really not in the long run anyway. You know, there's a lot of service that goes into selling bulls and follow up and you got to buy some back that don't work out occasionally. And so if you're really doing that, that business right anyway then you know they need to be uh they need to be worthy of being a bull because if they're not you'd, you'd be going backwards you'd, you'd be money ahead steering them and selling a steer and, and being done with it so that's my opinion of course and and uh i'm sure there's lots of answers out there but but uh i think it's a good thing to bring up not all just because it's a south pole calf with a set of papers or whatever doesn't mean they need to go on and be a bull
0: well, I appreciate your comments. Um, you know, Dave said here recently that they expected every cow, cow on their farm to be able to raise a herd bull. Well, when you think that that's where we all got our start from, you know, back in the day, they all came from there. I would hope they could, you know, but then you go down the line and a lot of us have bred up maybe or, or whatever we're doing. Um, I really appreciate your comments that it's, it's not a huge percentage if we're going to focus on the top end and going forward, keeping our genetics high.
2: Right. And those guys are all
0: rather than larger. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. And those guys are also willing to, you know, going back to Kelling, their list of killings pretty long. I mean, where I said, if they're open, I get rid of them. Um, I mean, if they've got any blemish, those guys are, you know, Dave and Teddy are getting rid of them. And I appreciate that about them. And so, you know, I think if you're willing to, to, you know, anytime a cow looks at you wrong, she's gone, well, then, then you probably can be selling a hundred percent of your, you know, your male calf crop as bulls, but in my case, and, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, you know, I, we've got some, some cows that, that, that are good cows, good solid cows, but, you know, they, they, they've got a, you know, whatever it might be that, that you know, a little too hairy or a little too big a udder, and, and so, we're, you know, we're going to put those over to the side and, And uh, we could still raise some good calves out of them and make some money because we can keep our costs down. But um, but but I think it's I think the difference is those producers that are that are going to cull every little thing versus those that, you know, that might draw their line a little differently. So, yeah, I think that's 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 a good comparison and a good and a good comment.
1: Bruce had so many insightful things to share with us on today's interview that we decided to make it into two parts. So this is the end of part one. All right, folks, there you have it. That's Bruce Shanks from Sassabras Valley Farm in central Missouri. He is such a wealth of knowledge and so glad to have him on the podcast today. Folks, if you wanna know any more about the South Pole breed, the official website is southpoll.com, southpoll.com. We also have um, a Facebook page, it's South Pole Associations page, where you can go online and see any of the up-to-date stuff there and we also have a a south pole forum page where there's a lot of really great discussion from folks um, and members of the association posting pictures what they're doing on their operation their grazing practices and all that good stuff so please visit those resources as well um and dole do you have anything else to add for our listeners today
0: So you mentioned the website. Um, There's still a few little tabs in there that we're still working on finishing out. Um, If anybody has any issues on there, I know this is probably a fairly limited group that we're publishing to, you know, it's obviously not everybody that we're coming in contact with through the association. But if you wanna reach out to one of us, I'm hearing comments that, hey, this is confusing, I can't find this. Um, My profile there's on the website, Doyle Unruh. You can find me on Facebook, send me a message um yeah just reach out to us however you can that's all i have
1: all right great all right folks happy grazing until next time thanks for joining us and just one more reminder folks if you have any requests or ideas for the podcast you can send those to southpolemedia at gmail.com i'll have that um, address in the show notes as well thanks folks